morning, and once again, we ask that you would do a work in our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that the message would be the message that you would have us to hear this morning, that I would be able to get out of the way and simply present your word as you would have it presented. Lord, we ask the Holy Spirit would have freedom to do his work in each heart and life here today. And the Lord, when we leave this place, we will leave closer to you than we've ever been before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers, if you would, and let's go back to the book of Galatians in chapter 6. We were there three weeks ago, counting today. And uh, we've started uh, not a strong series, but a series on God's philanthropy, God's love toward mankind. And uh, it is outlined here in uh, Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting." And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. And as we outline here the picture or the illustration, uh, the overview of God's love toward mankind, we, we, uh, I gave three basic principles here that come out of this, starting in verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens, And so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ was that he bore our burdens that we could not bear. He paid this price of our sins on the cross. He gave to us that which we could not obtain no matter what we did, no matter how hard we worked. He gave us that which is unattainable. That's God's love. That's God's grace. Amen. But God did not just save us For the sake of saving us, he gave us a work to do. And that work is something that each individual must do. It says here that every man shall bear his own burden. And we are to bear that burden. We are to, verse 4, prove the work that God has done in our life by the way that we live. And, of course, we can illustrate this amply through... Human existence, you just give somebody something, it doesn't really mean that much. You let them work for it and earn it, it actually means something now, doesn't it? Now, God is not going to allow you to work for your salvation. That's something he did. But he wants you to take his grace and his goodness and use that as a platform to be his servant to have a life that has purpose and meaning and reality to it, to have a life that 
is full of work, full of effort, but it is his effort, not your effort. Amen? And God has instituted a system here. You see, everything that man touches falls apart now, doesn't it? Uh, There's nothing good that God has given us that man has not perverted. And God instituted a system here. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. You sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, you're going to reap life everlasting. Uh, You cannot change God's laws of sowing and reaping. Now this is the overview of God's love toward mankind. And the reason why I've used the term philanthropy uh, in, in this series is because I want, to, I want us to think and be reminded of all of man's cheap and perverted imitations of God's love. You see, we as human beings, we like to help other human beings. How many of you have ever been helped by somebody? You know what I'm talking about, I think. Where someone came alongside of you and said, listen, let me help you. And you could not believe the mess that you were in before they were done helping you. Said, I could have done half this mess all by myself. But now that you've been here to help me, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of it. You know, it's like when the IRS calls you up and said, we'd like to help you figure out your income taxes for last year. Uh, no thanks, I'll, I'll do that on my own, all right? Uh, but man has always tried to come up with a system that mimics God's. The only problem is when man does this, it always ends up in suffering and pain because man cannot do what God does. Here's the perfect illustration in history, if you want it. One word. Communism. How many of you have ever really read anything about communism, understand what its ideals and what its goals are? They are incredibly lofty, are they not? I mean, uh, they want to elevate all of mankind to his highest potential and everyone giving 100% so that everyone can receive 100%. Well, there's a little problem there. In order for it to work, you've got to give everything to one man or group of men. And once they get it, they never let it go. And so what happens is you get one little group of people with everything and everybody else has nothing. And even less than nothing. Now last week, we spent our time looking at God's love and understanding, trying to understand that unless a person is willing to receive and understand what God's love is, the entire system of God's love is of no value to them. You see, in order to receive God's love, you have to ask for it. You have to be willing to receive it. But God is not going to give you his love on your terms. It comes on his terms. See, Zacchaeus understood God's love. That was last week's message. Half my goods I give to the poor and the other half I'm going to uh, 
take care of all the wrong things that I've done in stealing and jipping people out of money. Uh, I'm going to pay that off. He understood that if you were going to accept God's love, it's God's way. The ultimate biblical illustration of that is of the prodigal son who came home. And when he came home, he still had in his mind that he was going to be uh, a servant of his father's. He wasn't going to be a son. And the father said, no, you're going to be a son. Bring the best robe, put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet. He had to be the spectacle of the feast that the elder brother refused to attend because of his pride and arrogance. You see, if you're going to accept God's love, you must do it God's way. It can't be a partial acceptance. It can't be, well, God, if you'll love me, I'll I'll do this. No, no, no. God is not into let's make a deal. God is into all or nothing. But once you've received God's love, and and this is probably the greatest area of confusion when we come to understanding how we as Christians ought to live. God has work for us to do. He has things he wants us to do to serve him now. So many religions, and and, I mean, we could just go through the entire spectrum uh, of of man's religions, but they're all based, we can boil them down into this. A preacher said many years ago, he said, you can divide all religion into two uh, categories. One is do, the other is done. So that's pretty simple. One category where almost all religion falls into is based upon what you do. The other category only has one entry. It's the Bible, and it's based on what God has done. That's why Jesus said it is finished on the cross. Amen? Because the work of salvation is finished. You cannot enjoy God's love until you receive from Him that which you cannot obtain on your own. But the second part of this is that the work that God wants us to do, it's got to be under biblical directive just as his love for us is under the biblical directive. Otherwise, our works to please God becomes a tool of enslavement and no longer the path to freedom. This is how false religion has destroyed the world in which we live. They're rejoicing in Egypt today because the government is gone. But my question is, and and I'm just asking an honest question, no one knows the answer yet. What are they rejoicing in that they are getting Because nobody knows yet. Say, oh, well, the military's in charge. How many of you would like the military to be in charge? Not I. One man said this week, don't worry about the first coup, worry about the second one. Because those that remember the history of communism and oppression, 
It wasn't the first. They got rid, they used the first one to get rid of the old government. It was the second one that brought in the slave masters. That's what scares me. But that's how false religion has always worked. By the way, communism is a religion. It's not a political system. That's why it works in the way that it does. And interesting enough, in the Middle East, they want a religious system to take over. Let me tell you, it's not going to be freedom. If they get it, it's going to be slavery. Because religion that is not based upon the Bible is always slavery. You pick the religion, my friend. Let's go back to medieval Europe, where all of Europe, all all the people living on the continent of Europe and on Great Britain were slaves to the Pope. King Henry of Germany was camped in the snow in the dead of winter outside the Pope's palace for 30 days standing barefoot in the snow with his wife and newborn baby so that the Pope would allow him to come in and kiss his foot. Really happened in history. Well, the, next, the, other, the second chapter of that story is once the snow melted and King Henry had favor of the Pope, he went back and raised an army and chased the Pope out of Italy. But that's the way history works. But here's the way God's love works. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. And and this is what I mean by the Bible explaining the Bible. We've read here in Ephesians that every man must prove his own work, that every man should bear his own burden, that everyone that is taught must learn to communicate, must take what they've been taught and learn to live that toward others. But if you really want to see the illustration of this, just turn backwards in your Bible, toward the end of your Bible, a few pages here to the book of Philippians in chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 7. We're going to read down through verse 15. And this should be a familiar passage to those that have been here. This is a passage of Scripture that you must spend some time in if you're going to have a relationship with Christ. Verse 7, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Savior, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that which also I am apprehended of, Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. 
And if in any, uh, anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Now these are the words of Paul to the Philippians, and he's trying to explain to them the work of the love of God in his life. And where he starts is we have to understand that any work that you accomplish in your life, any effort that is expended for the cause of Christ, is built upon the foundation of God's grace. You see, I cannot make myself pleasing unto God. And yet that is the foundation of all false religion is either to make oneself pleasing unto God or to become God in essence. Uh, you go to the African tribal, the animistic worship, what do you do? Everything you do is to please or to placate or to pacify those gods. Yet, what do we do when we assemble together? Well, if I don't show up for church, God's going to be mad at me. I better be there. Wait a minute. I hope that's not your motivation for being here this morning because if it is, that's an evil motivation to be in church. We don't come to church to please God. We come to church because he said that's where we ought to be because he saved us. There ought to be a need for the believer to be where other believers are. There ought to be a desire for you to be connected to the Savior who saved you. The church does not give you salvation. But if you want to be close to your Savior, the best place to be is where other people who are saved are assembled together to worship the Savior. Amen? Paul had more religious attainment than everyone in this auditorium combined. We cannot, nor would we, make an attempt to do what the Apostle Paul did with his life before he met Jesus. He was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Now, if you know anything about the Pharisees, they were... Uh, an amazing group of men. They controlled the political, um, uh, spiritual attitude at the temple site, even though they weren't the priests. The priests in the Bible, you hear the Sadducees. That was where the that was the group that the priests were in. And the Sadducees, they didn't believe in very much. If you'll read your Bible, they didn't believe there was any such thing as a spirit world. They didn't believe in miracles. Uh, they didn't believe in almost anything except uh, the great God of America. Money, 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 money. That's what they believed in. Now, the Pharisees were not that way. They were religious fanatics. In fact... In order to become a Pharisee, you had to be able to quote word for word perfectly Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Which chapters? No, all of them. The entire books. And by the way, they didn't have chapter and verse divisions that make us so lazy today. 
They had to know it well enough that they were tested by their peers. These were people who knew the Bible. Let me tell you something. They studied it. But not only did they study the Bible, they studied the Mishnahs and the tractates and the commentaries. By the way, the Bible... Uh, the Tanakh or the, the Torah actually is the first five books of the Bible. Then they had commentaries on those books. Now, a commentary is normally three or four times the size of the book that it comments on. Well, these Mishnahs were huge. In fact, they were an entire library in and of themselves. But then they had commentaries on the commentaries. And that's when things really got bizarre. In fact, I had one professor that had studied these things. He said they had 300 regulations for the religious Jewish person on the handling of Egyptian cucumbers. And by the way, that was only one type of cucumber. They had rules and regulations on every part of your life. In fact, that's why Jesus so strongly condemned the Pharisees. He said, with your traditions and with your explanations of God's word, you've made void God's word so that you can keep your traditions. Paul knew all of it. And not one Pharisee could point their finger at the apostle Paul and said, you missed that point. Could you imagine how religious he was? And here's his testimony. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. In fact, Paul was such an educated man that Felix the governor said, Much learning doth make thee mad. He said, Paul, you're educated to the point of insanity. You ever met anybody like that? Uh, I mean, they are out there, trust me. And, and Paul had an education. Felix, by listening to him, the Roman governor knew that this was no hillbilly from the hills like Peter, James, and John. This was somebody who had an education beyond anything he would ever have. And he was standing in all of it, but he says, listen, you're, you're just beyond human reason. And King Agrippa, one of the wickedest men that ever lived, Paul looked at him and said, you know that I'm not talking crazy. And King Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. Some of the saddest words in all the scriptures. But it wasn't the learning that was Agrippa's problem. It was sin. It was his position, his power. Paul said, listen, anything that I can gain, I've given it up that I can serve Christ. Now, this is where our work for Christ begins. Because you see, this is the only way God can remove personal pride and personal achievement from the equation. Have you ever met anybody that was really good at something? I'm talking about beyond excellent. First thing you'll notice about somebody like that is they don't go around telling you how good they are. They don't have to. You just stand there and go, wow. 
Somebody who is really excellent doesn't quote other people because they know how to do it all on their own. By the way, those are the attributes of our Lord Jesus Christ, are they not? That's why the Pharisees were amazed at him because he didn't quote all of the great teachers of the past. He just told them what the word of God said and said, you'd better be obedient to it. And the Apostle Paul, who had achieved everything a man could achieve achieve through religion, said, I gave it all up so that I could have Christ. But here's my attitude. And I've met some people like this, and they always just frighten me. They always make me just feel sick in my heart. Well, you don't know what I gave up to become a Christian. Let me tell you, here's Paul's attitude. Verse 8, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now, I don't think I need to spend a lot of time explaining that verse, now do I? Paul's attitude toward everything that he had obtained and could obtain in his life was to get as far away from it as I can, to remove myself from that. I don't want to be anywhere near it because it's an offense to my Savior. You know, we think too much of ourselves to ever be able to serve Christ. We got to get past that. Now, Paul uses some strange words here in the next few verses, and you have to be careful because you can go to the Bible with a predisposed meaning and read into this things that God never intended to be there. He says that I may know him, verse 9, and be found in him, verse 10, that I may know him, verse 11, if by any means. Now, we would read those first phrases of those next three verses and it would seem like Paul was unsure of his salvation that it was just something that he was hoping to have one day but let's skip ahead to verse uh, uh, excuse me verse 12 here and the middle of the verse he says but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus Now, what he says here, he says, I'm following after, if I can apprehend, if I can grab, if I can capture that, what's it say there? Which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He says, you see, Christ has me. He's already apprehended me. I am under his control. I am saved. But I'm not going to, as one preacher aptly put it, sit on my blessed assurance and watch the world go by. He said, I've got some things to do. I am stretching forth not to get my salvation because Jesus has already apprehended me. But how many of you could use a little dose of Better salvational living, if we can use that phrase. Living your salvation a little more. 
How many of you would like that? I mean, I'm, my hand's up. I, I want that in my life. I want to live my salvation more fully than I do. And Paul says, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to strive for it. You're going to have to desire not to be found in your own righteousness. How many of you, as, as you're trying to serve Christ, kind of look and say, hey, I did something good today for Jesus. I, he really used me today. You know, that's a realization that will come to you as you serve Christ. But if you get caught up in you instead of him, you're going to get in trouble. This is what Paul's speaking of here. And being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, it's nothing that I can do. It's what Christ does through me. This is God's love. He removes me from the equation. I've asked this question many times, and you're going to hear it many more times because this is how we live life. How many decisions did you make this morning that involved me? I'm going to put this on because it makes me, brings out the natural colors and makes me look better. Uh, I'm going to do my hair in a certain way here so that everybody can know that I have some and that, uh, I, I mean, these are just questions and things that we do. Uh, I like this for breakfast. I don't like this. It's our life is all about us, is it not? And by the way, don't go to the other extreme. We covered this in the book of Jude on Thursday nights. You see, I can go from one extreme of giving myself and indulging myself in everything or withholding everything. You know, I'm going to live on raw oats and warm water. Just so that I can show that I can... Well, again, the flesh is the center of both of those attitudes. One is showing how much I can deprive myself. The other one is giving myself everything. It's still all flesh. It's still all about you. God doesn't want us at either extreme. You see, Paul says... That my righteousness is his righteousness that comes through faith in him. Verse 10 says that I may know him. The only way you're going to get this mind straightened out is fill it with Christ. Amen? How many of you are struggling? Don't raise your hand right now. But how many of you are struggling with some sin, some issue, something you just fight with in your life every day. How many of you are struggling with that? Don't raise your hand, but think about it. Now, if you want to get the victory over that thing, stop thinking about that thing and fill your soul with Christ and he'll push that thing out. But that's a whole lot easier said than done, my friend. Because that old flesh likes to fight back. That's why it says, I die daily. I got to get rid of me. That's why Paul says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. 
He says, I'm going to give every ounce of energy I have so that I can be worthy of the name that Christ has given me. So that I can be worthy to stand in that group of those who are saved by grace. We have to understand that God's grace in giving us salvation, His love, you can actually use those two terms interchangeably if you wish, He gave us something we could not attain. We must submit to His love and accept His grace and the works that we do are exactly based on the same way we got saved. It's getting rid of me and it's letting Him work. Now, I know you can go on these websites and you can be, have your spiritual gifts evaluated. Um, that's not the way spiritual gifts work. The Holy Spirit is interested in one thing. He's interested in the glorification of Jesus Christ. How is that going to happen? It's going to happen through His changing you to serve Him. How are we to serve Christ? Through His church. That's where the church comes in. You see, the church is important. It's the context for our Christianity. It's where we serve Christ. It's how we live for Him. So, if the Holy Spirit gives you a gift... And you can use that gift outside the local church. It's not a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's just merely a talent. Are there not many talented teachers in this world? Let me tell you, there are some great teachers. I remember, I I am not a fan of high literature. Shakespeare... How many of you have ever read Shakespeare? Because you had to. But have you ever really read it for the stories that are in it? They don't do much better than the modern day slop operas, let me tell you. Some of those stories are horrid. Many of them are just downright evil. I mean, they're about murdering people and, and all this kind of stuff and... And let me tell you something. I don't need that to be smart. But I had a teacher in college. And he put this challenge out. By the way, I was of the same opinion then. But I had to take Shakespeare in order to graduate Bible college. Now, if I ever have anything to do with Bible college, the students will never have to read Shakespeare. But I, I think they do at Heartland too. I don't know why. Not all. I don't, they don't have a whole class on it. But here's what the teacher said. He said, you're going to enjoy this class because I'm a great teacher. And I'm sitting there going, sure you are. And he knew what he was doing. He was challenging us. But let me tell you, he won because he was a great teacher. He really was. 
but that's not the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit does not... I can still recite lines from Shakespeare that he taught me 25 years ago. That's how good a teacher he was. But does the Holy Spirit of God interested in me being able to quote Leon Macduff? Methinks the lady doth protest too much. Uh, I mean, these are lines from Shakespeare's poem and they're running through my head while I'm using this illustration, driving me crazy. I don't think the Holy Spirit of God is interested in me being able to quote Shakespeare. He was a great teacher, but it's not a gift of the Holy Ghost. You want a gift of the Holy Ghost in teaching. Show somebody else how to be saved. Bring somebody to church with you. Learn how to open the pages of this book called the Bible and show somebody what it means to be saved. That's the Holy Spirit working in your life. Help someone understand that their objections to the words of this book are the works of a selfish heart, of a heart that is leaning away from God, and that their submission to the words of this book is the Holy Spirit of God bringing them closer to himself. Amen? You see, this is the attitude that Paul has as we read verses 12 through 14. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that if I might, may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. One of the most dangerous things that can happen in your life is success. Is to really do something well. Because you know what you can do? Spend the rest of your life looking back at that one thing that really went well. Paul says, I got to forget those things. Because everything in the past that was good, God did. Amen? Everything that I did in the past that wasn't good is under the blood of Jesus Christ. So what difference does it make? I've got today. You know, there is one thing that is in common of every quote-unquote high achiever. They have a drive that cannot be stopped. What would make a person practice on ice skates 8 to 12 hours a day? What would make a person sit at the piano and play the same piece a thousand times just so that it could be absolutely perfect with the music? I mean, that's, there's just a drive in there. Paul says, I'm taking that drive that so many people have used. In fact, if you read the beginning of the book here, Paul was explaining how that drive worked in him to become a Pharisee of the Pharisee, to attain everything that could be attained by physical work in the Jewish religion. 
And he says, now what I'm going to do, it's not because I've earned anything. It's because Christ gave me his salvation. He's given me what I could not work for. But he has set before me a goal. It's called the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, what is that? The best explanation I can give this morning is that it is the fulfillment of God's will for your life as a servant of Jesus Christ. It is doing what God has planned for your life. Let me tell you, no human being has ever attained that completely. but that ought not stop us from trying every day. You say, but I'm not a preacher. What what would be the prize of the high calling of God in my life in Christ Jesus? Listen, where would our church be if everybody wanted to be the pastor? It'd be a confused mess, wouldn't it? I mean, that did happen in the Corinthian church. They had a whole group of people lined up to preach and nobody sitting down and listening. And Paul was trying to correct them and say it doesn't work that way. You've got to explain the Bible, but somebody's got to go out and do it too, amen? There's all kinds of places of service for Christ. What we have to do is find out where he wants us. By the way, don't you think you ought to be the best Christian at the place you work? You ought to be the best employee they have by the grace of God. Amen? You ought to have a testimony that what you do is because you have a relationship with God and the physical things of this earth aren't the most important to you. It is serving God. That's why Paul said, I press toward that mark. Because everything I do, I do for the cause of Christ. I mean, where would we be if we didn't have people that worked jobs and gave to the church? We'd be in trouble. We wouldn't be supporting all the missionaries we're supporting. We'd have all kinds of things that would limit our ability to serve the Lord. It is being faithful in this life. The Bible says that if you're not providing for your family and and being honest with the things of this world, you've denied the faith and you're worse than the infidel that denies the existence of God. And yet I've met people that use their service for God as an excuse not to provide for their family. That's blasphemy. We talk about unity. And there is nothing that establishes unity like love. That's why two people will agree to be married to one another. That's unity. It's supposed to be, amen? But sometimes that love grows apart, doesn't it? And very, very tragic things happen. Love is something that's on the human part. It's got to be worked on every day. 
It's a sacrifice, but it's a willing one. It's getting rid of myself so that I can please the one I love. Does this not illustrate our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Now let's look at verse 15. This is one of those verses that's easy to skip over, but is very, very important to what we're talking about. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Now Paul is saying, listen, if you're complete, if you're mature in Christ, this is the mind that ought to be in you. In fact, if you go back to a, uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul's talking about... Listen, if you really understand that it's not about you, it's because of God's grace that you can serve, this is the way you're going to serve. So if you're in agreement, the Bible says you can be perfect-minded if you're in agreement with God's Word, not in agreement with pastor. I want to be in agreement with the Bible, amen? And if you're in agreement with the Bible, then guess what? We have this long-sought-after unity without trying for it one little bit, now do it. You see, if I love Jesus and you love Jesus, then we'll love the same things. And we'll find ourselves automatically in agreement with each other. But as human beings, that's why the second half of this verse is in here. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal... Even this unto you. Now, the way most people read this verse is not what it was meant to be read. They said, if you disagree, God will reveal that I'm right. That's not what it says. It says, if you disagree with what I'm saying, I'm giving the apostles Paul's words. If you will follow God, God will make you agree with me because I'm giving you God's message. Pretty dogmatic now, isn't it? That's scary stuff. Then why do we have so much disagreement on occasion? Well, it's because we need to go back to verse 7 and start over again. All those things that I have, I count loss. Got to get rid of me. Then I've got to have the proper attitude in serving Christ. It's simply this. If anything good was done, it was done because of Christ, not because of me. Anything bad that was done, I put under the blood of Jesus Christ by confessing my sin and moving forward. So therefore, the past is the past, the future is the future, and today I'm going to strive to fulfill what Christ wants me to do in my life today to honor Him, the high calling. How much effort am I going to put forth today to fulfill the calling of God in Christ Jesus in my life? What am I going to do? Because this is what matters. Nothing else does. Now we had one other part 
in, in this thing, and that is the system which makes this work, the law of sowing and reaping. And at this point, I'm, I'm not really sure that I'm going to spend next Sunday's sermon on that point. Because that's something with which we're pretty well familiar. We know what it means to get back what we put in. The thing that I want you to spend some time on is, you see, God's given you what you cannot get. He's given you a work to do that only His grace will allow you to do. His grace, what He has given you in salvation, is the platform, is the foundation for serving God. If we're going to serve God, if we're going to bear our own burdens, if you're going to prove that you truly are a Christian by the life you live, number one, you're going to get rid of self. You're going to stop trying to achieve your goals and surrender your goals to the one who saved you. Number two, you're going to get that attitude that Paul expresses in verses 12 through 14. He says, I know Jesus has me, but I'm working to reach out and get that goal of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Each day is a new effort. Each day is a new completely ready slate for me to write upon it those things that will bring honor to God or those things which bring dishonor to God. If I'm going to strive, I'm going to put on that life, on that day, on, on that calendar, whatever you want to call it, things that will fit in that category. And when other things get in the way and keep me from serving God, I've got to go to him and humble myself and get my mind straightened out so I can go back and start serving him again. Either later today or if it's too late to finish today, tomorrow. Because his grace is going to take me through eternity. I need to serve him today. This is God's philanthropy, his love toward us. It is only in this type of achievement in your life that you can realize both the humility of self and the glory of God. There have been very few times in history man has tapped into just a little version of this. And it has resulted in the greatest freedom and the elevation of all human beings. But mankind always perverts this because, see, man wants to be God. How many of you ever thought, well, God, if you just give me a million dollars, here's what I'd do with it to help people. Anybody ever think like that? Be careful because what you're in essence doing is putting yourself in the place of God saying how I would distribute God's blessings to others if I were God. We've got to get past that. You see, the reason why false religion never works is because man always gets between God and man. True religion is every man gets close to God. 
We don't have to have someone down here with a horse whip or a gun or something to make us have unity. It comes naturally because we love the same Christ. It's automatic. It's part of our love for Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, what? Love the brethren. If you love me, keep my commandments. And this is the love of God, that we love the children of God. God's love toward us. He gave us what we cannot obtain. He's given us both a system and a work for each one of us to be able to prove and earn the rewards of his love being active in our life. Are we all together on that? Now the question is, are you going to live in God's love or are you going to live in yours? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we ask that you would work in each heart and life here today. Lord, we pray that you would peel back the layers of deception and self-deception and Lord, the things that we have been taught that are in disagreement with your word, we pray that we would be able to simply receive what the Bible says to allow you to straighten out our minds and make us in agreement with your word. We ask you to do your work that you may be glorified through your word in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.